It's 10 o'clock from WDBX Carbondale. Time now for... Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. Hey, you're leaving the store, and you sneak something through the self-checkout without paying. Well, these days, if you're above 65, they're going to let you walk. Jill Gratzwitz will explain. She'll also talk about how police are now training to confront people with dementia. Speaking of which, senior services organizations need help, even from seniors who aren't very mobile. So they'll sew a bunch of like gadgets onto a blanket, and then those we can give out to persons with dementia. Helps keep them calm by, you know, fidgeting with the things that they sew onto blankets. Becky Salazar of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging. And a lot of boomers have retired, but in Union County, Illinois, many of them are still working. They have a job somewhere, but most of our, in Union County, are still working. This according to Monica Belli, director of the Sunshine Senior Center in Anna. We'll have these stories, plus Bob Smith and Marcia Smith with the off-ramp and Edward R. Merle. Next on OK Boomer, but first the news. Boomer News. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide with middle-aged and older adults disproportionately affected. In a study from Colorado State University, scientists found social isolation can cause depression in middle-aged and older adults. They use a machine learning approach to analyze data from a large population representative sample of middle-aged and older European adults. Out of 56 variables examined, the team found that for both men and women, Social isolation was the primary risk for depression, followed by general poor health and mobility difficulties. The team also looked at 30 variables related to participants' social networks and family configurations, such as frequency of contact, number of friends, and interpersonal transactions related to physical care and financial support. Do you have normal blood pressure? How do you know? This from AARP. Hypertension, or high blood pressure, is one of the most common health problems facing American adults, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. But high blood pressure is both preventable and treatable. About one in three people who have hypertension don't know it, and therefore aren't being treated for it, according to the CDC. The only way to know for sure if you have high blood pressure is to check your numbers. If you are 40 or older, you should be doing this at least once a year, federal guidelines state. Happy birthday to everyone who is celebrating a milestone birthday in January. Actress Portia de Rossi turns 50. Singer Pat Benatar will be 70 this month. And funk singer Charlie Wilson will celebrate his 70th birthday. Let's talk dementia. There's no national count of how many people with dementia are arrested each year. But an analysis of U.S. crime data by the Marshall Project shows that the number of arrests of people over 65 grew by nearly 30 percent between 2000 and 2020, at the same time that overall arrests fell by nearly 40 percent. The number of elder arrests is growing faster than the population is aging. Older Americans are still a small portion of overall arrests, less than 2 percent. Elin Gaspi, a gerontologist and dementia behavior specialist at the University of Connecticut, says even handcuffing a person with dementia could be extremely traumatic. From transport in a police cruiser to interrogation to jailing, any part of an arrest could really be a terror, he said. 
Now we come to Jill Graskowitz of the Marion Senior Center, Club 60. She is former manager of the Alzheimer's Association Southern Illinois office. She tells me this. So as both the awareness of dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Lewy body, and um, the way that the way that their symptoms are exerted and the progression of law enforcement to receive more training to recognize these things. I've been to training myself um, with law enforcement on um, specific dementia training. They are being more trained to recognize an individual, ask them some questions and if they don't answer the questions or seem to be in the right frame of mind, these police officers um, who, you know, are kind of now transitioning into a little bit of a social worker phase with all of this new uh, police reform government, which is not a bad thing, they have to be a lot more aware of the individuals that they're dealing with. Luckily, in small towns, you have a police force that is rare, roughly small, and you've got a smaller town. Most people know somebody or they know someone who knows someone, and you become more familiar with who's going to go into the, the grocery store, who's going to go into the convenience store. And, you know, it also, when, you, when I think about convenience stores, I think about alcohol. And there was actually a case um, locally where someone thought that they might have um, some cognitive disability, but the person was actually inebriated. So you could have a speech impediment or you could be just sloppy drunk, but how are they supposed to know? That's a good question, uh, but what I get out of this is that the police departments are training for dealing with the older generation, with the, some of them becoming demented, with dementia. That is true. So at this training that I went to with all of the local police departments, it was taught by Teepa Snow, T-E-E-P-A, Snow, like, hey, it's wintertime and it's going to snow. She is a fabulous teacher. She travels all around the world to teach about different types of dementia and how to respond to it. I was sitting in a room full of, of officers and one of them said, hey, we've got, you know, frequent flyer calls of, um, you know, grandma's at home and she lives by herself and she calls us, you know, three and four times a week because she heard a noise outside. And when we go to her house, she gets all agitated and mad and we don't know what to do. We can't do anything. There's nothing that happened. All this grandma or woman with possibly a cognitive impairment wants is validation. So it's all in the approach. So this police officer, what they trained them to do was when you respond to this lady's house, you listen to her, you take her complaint, write it down, Say, let me go check. I'm going to do a walk around of your house and I'm going to see if I can see any tracks, if I can see, you know, if there's any branches in the way that might be moving your windows. I'm going to check all around for you. So she feels validated 
that, okay, they're going to listen to me and they're going to go check. And so that brings her comfort level a little higher, her agitation level a little lower because she's getting what she wants. The police officer is doing something to make her feel better, but also ensuring that she's really and truly safe because we all know about the story of the boy who cried wolf. One day there's really going to be the wolf there. So if grandma calls three or four times a week, she may just need that quick interaction to say, hey, you know what, let me do a check around your house and I'll be right back. And then you go do a walk around the perimeter, come back to her and say, okay, um, I have checked everything. You seem to be good right now. However, this is our number. So most police officers carry some type of card. If you hear anything, call this number. We're going to do some extra patrols around your house as well. So we want you to feel safe, but you definitely call us anytime and we will be right out here. So everyone gets the validation. You get a good interaction with the older generation. You get a good interaction with the law enforcement and everybody is for the most part a happy camper. Okay, let's turn from law enforcement to stores. Now, you mentioned a very big store, and if someone is picked up for shoplifting, and if he or she is above the age of what? 65. If he or she is above the age of 65, what happens if they try to leave with, say, uh, some French fried potatoes and spam? Well, these days, if you're above 65 they're going to let you walk. That's just the way it is. Why are they doing it? I think they have more things to deal with. Um, bigger, badder issues that a senior citizen who is taking one or two items or there's no telling what they could take. You, you know, you've seen people who have put um, pads in their purse or they put chocolate chips uh, in their pocket, um, especially someone with some dementia, you never know. Um, it could be socks, it could be cereal, it could be a can of soup. Um, probably it's probably not going to be a flat screen TV or a laptop. <laughs> no, no, they won't even know how to turn those on. Um, there are people out there who are doing much more serious crimes and it's not worth checking on these. And that was Jill Graskwitz of the Marion Senior Center and former manager of the Alzheimer's Association Southern Illinois office. Well, let's talk about fitness. They say fitness can offset the effects of Alzheimer's or delay it or maybe prevent it entirely. But there are a lot of baby boomers who are certainly not fit. Let's talk to somebody at a local college. Now, we've heard of, of ways to improve one's life after 60. Eat good food, take vitamins, get enough sleep, and exercise. But you might say, exercises work. Besides, I don't have the time. But Dr. Bradley Griffith, director of Logan Fitness, says you can spend 23 and a half hours doing everything else during the day, which leaves 30 minutes for exercise. Well, I think that... Um it's absolutely critical that people of all ages and especially um, 
you know, once you reach senior citizen age, I think it is critical that they implement exercise into their daily routines. And, um, you know, I have observed that, unfortunately, many people don't um, either identify it as uh, something that's important or or they just can't commit to making it um, a regular part of their lifestyle. But um, from my observation, it's it's a game changer. And for those who start late, first of all, it's never too late. It's never too late to begin exercising and to begin trying to live a healthier lifestyle. Now, those who have maybe delayed that and put it off for years, they're going to have a little bit of a, of a more difficult and a more challenging mountain to climb initially. Um, I think that's the difference. But um, that should absolutely not deter someone from um, from not exercising. Those who have been doing it consistently for many years through their whole life, I think that um, you know they're just going to see those benefits continue. Um, and like I said, they they can maybe continue on a more moderate and consistent path. They're not going to have quite that uh, that challenge as someone who's just now getting into it. But it's critically important for everybody to do and. Um, I wish that more people would take it seriously and make that commitment into actually fitting it into their daily routines. Uh, I'm nearly 70, and as I mentioned, when I was at SIU, I'd run about 10 miles a day. Now walking from the parking lot into here is effort. Uh, What I've noticed is first I'm not interested in doing much exercise at all, but I force myself to do it. Because for me, it's not no longer fun, but I think it's necessary. It's absolutely necessary, and the pandemic that we faced here recently um, has been um, a really strong example, and it's been kind of sad for me to see because the the facility, the gym that I oversee, we have lots of senior citizens who utilize this facility, and I've been able to observe over the years how much of a positive impact that that has made on their lives and just the ability to stay healthy and stay active. Well, when, you know, COVID took over, I mean, first of all, we had to shut our facility down completely for several months. And then even when we did reopen, people were understandably hesitant to come back for a while. And um, I have seen now, you know, more than two years out, some of these people come back who hadn't really exercised in two years. And the amount of deterioration physically that I have seen just from one year or two years of no activity, it's really sad and it's really astounding as opposed to those who still found ways to stay consistent with it, whether they did decide to come back here or whether they found ways to work out at home and on their own. Um, it's just, it's, it's a drastic difference in those who make it a priority daily or at least weekly to exercise versus those who don't. I've noticed that it's very easy at my age to lose it. You have to keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is true. When you are younger, you can probably get away with, um, you know, having those sedentary periods and being able to bounce back a little bit more easily. Um, once you get into, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, you're absolutely right. Um, if you take any period of inactivity, um, it's going to be that much more difficult for you to, to work your way back. So consistency is key. 
Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, sometimes you may not necessarily feel like it. And, and that's part of the challenge, right? It, it, it does require someone to be somewhat uh, mentally disciplined to, to just kind of understand and know this is what's best for me and to force yourself to do it. And, you know, developing positive habits and developing a routine can help with that. Um, so that, you know, maybe even when you don't feel like it, at, at least it just feels like it's natural and it's part of what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah, I think that it's really important. And um, any any brief period of, of inactivity or, or living a sedentary lifestyle can be very damaging, especially at an older age. For me, it was a week and a half because I had a light case of COVID, but I'm going to get back into it next week once I'm fully recovered. And I'll bet you'll feel next week that it'll be it'll feel a little bit more challenging initially, just because you you know you went through COVID and then you had that little period of inactivity, and uh, those first couple of days especially, they're probably gonna they're gonna feel a little bit tougher for you than than maybe they were before you took that little hiatus. Oh well, that's life. Let's turn to something else. I remember going to the 1964 World's Fair as a kid. I was 11. And I sometimes pull up pictures on the web because I, I have fond memories of that. And I see, see in these pictures just regular snapshots of people walking around, and very few people were overweight. And of the people who were overweight, my guess is I didn't see anybody over 60. Now we've got, I think the statistics are 30 to, f no, something like 70% of Americans are overweight and 30 to 40% are obese. And at uh, one time I looked up the baby boomer generation and we are the most obese. Is that uh, what you've learned too? Yeah, those statistics are, are definitely accurate with what I've seen. Um, and you know, I don't know that I would pinpoint a single reason for that, but I definitely think there are several contributing factors. I don't know you know, if you want me to get into what I think those are, but I, I definitely agree with your assessment and those statistics. You think maybe, mm, let me just pull something off the top of my head. Fast food? I absolutely think that the, the food that people consume plays a huge role in that. Um, fast food is so prevalent. It's so readily accessible. Um, it's just, uh, it's kind of become an accepted part of, of what people eat. But uh, it's not healthy. It's damaging. And statistics and studies show correlations between, health, uh, bet between fast food and cancer and uh, heart attacks and early death. Um, you know, the numbers don't look good for those who consume fast food on a regular basis. Um, and yet we continue to do it. Um, part of it is because you know, there's the marketing ploys and, and, you know, they, they make sure that it tastes good and it does taste good and it can be addicting, but, uh, there's no doubt that, um, consuming that type, that amount of, you know, uh, saturated and, um, sodium and unhealthy foods, um, definitely affects our bodies and affects our abilities to stay healthy. I remember when I was going to SIU from 70 to 74, now half a century later, there were only a few fast food restaurants in Carbondale. Now, there were uh, restaurants and hot dog places uh, that were, were owned and operated locally along the Strip, but n not very many nationally. Now, they are all over the place. And I would assume that it's much easier 
to drive into one of those places to get something to eat than to prepare it at home. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? That is part of the problem. And I think that that even goes into just what society is like now. Um, it's so much of a, you know, instant gratification. They need things quickly. Um, and so people are, um, they're just going and grabbing what's, what's accessible and what's quick and what's easy. And uh, that goes along with, you know, just the lifestyle with internet and smartphones and just uh, the way that has transitioned into daily life and what accepted lifestyle is, it's different from, you know, like you said, when you were attending SIU in the early 70s, uh, it was probably more common then for a family to sit down and have a meal together. And the way that our society has structured itself today, that just doesn't happen nearly as often. And so uh, what it leads to is uh, people just taking that easy, you know, picking up the easy meal and going to the drive-thru. I also noticed on the SIU campus at the time it had 24,000 students, which was the maximum. The parking lots were about a third of the size that they are now. Yeah, more people were walking. Um, I think that's that's a good point. Um, I, I I don't have as much experience with what SIU was like at that time. I've you know read read about it and and heard uh, you know stories that people have shared with me, but um, you know I know I know that it was um, it was a good place to be. I know there were lots of people living on campus, and I'm I'm sure that they walked just about everywhere that they went. There probably weren't as many automobiles, and and that's changed as well. I think. Uh, now, if you have a college student coming in, they're definitely going to want to have that automobile with them, um, and it's it's probably just a little bit different as far as what it was back then. Yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? I mean, I would just say once again, I can't emphasize enough how critical it is for people of all ages to make the commitment to... Um, be consistent with exercise. And the number one excuse that I hear on why people don't exercise is they say they don't have time. And I do understand that people have busy lives and they have different obligations going on. But if you can think about it from this frame of mind, if you can finish, if you can do everything that you need to do in your day in 23 and a half hours, um, you only need to dedicate 30 minutes a day to some exercise. And really, it doesn't even have to be every day, maybe just three days a week. Uh, but I think most people, if they think of it that way, they probably could get everything that they want to get done in 23 and a half hours as opposed to 24. And just take that 30 minutes and, and put it into exercise, create a routine, create a plan, make it a habit so that you know exactly when and where you're going to put that exercise in every day. And then that way, you know, whenever speed bumps or unexpected things occur that kind of throw you off your plan a little bit, um, you know, you've still, you've still got that plan in place and uh, you're, you're going to be able to stay with that routine a lot better and um, you're going to be more consistent with your exercise. And that was Dr. Bradley Griffith, the director of Logan Fitness at John A. Logan College in Carterville, Illinois. Okay, Boomer. Well, folks, it's time for a little walk to the coffee pot. Yes, that's right. I work a short day and I need my coffee. Now, I found this on the WDBX bulletin board, and I'm carrying it with me as we go to the coffee pot. It says, if you can't start your morning without a jolt of caffeine, you're not alone. More than 60% of Americans drink coffee every day. 
that morning cup of joe, and we'll hear about that in a second, doesn't just wake you up. Research shows that low to moderate doses of caffeine, 40 to 300 milligrams, may improve reaction time, attention, alertness, and vigilance. And a study published in November of 2021 linked regular coffee consumption with reduced cognitive decline and a possible reduction in the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. Now, how much coffee is recommended per day? An 8-ounce cup has about 80 to 100 milligrams of caffeine, and the FDA recommends no more than 400 milligrams a day. (laughs) Of course, I adhere to that very closely. Uh, Too much caffeine could do more than make you jittery. We'll be hearing about that in a minute. High doses may negatively affect memory and attentiveness. Over the coffee pot, ah, and I can just smell it perking right now. So it's time for a cup of Joe with Robert. Now, here's the thing. This information came out about 10 years ago. Listen to the disadvantages of drinking too much coffee. Cup of Joe with Robert. Going to be talking about the dangers of coffee Coffee drinkers, beware. Your caffeine habit could induce a temporary mental disorder. New edition of the Mental Health Manual, the DSM-5, we're all aware of that, aren't we? Lists caffeine intoxication among the many disorders known to psychiatry. Hmm. Restlessness, nervousness, excitement, red face, gastrointestinal upset. Restlessness, nervousness, excitement, red face, gastrointestinal upset, muscles, twitching, rambling, speech and sleeplessness, rapid and irregular heartbeat. You know what? I got it canary. It was really nice. I got it all. Specifically, a coffee drinker who experiences five or more of these symptoms during or shortly after consuming caffeine could be diagnosed with caffeine intoxication. The intoxication must also meet a standard DSM test. You mean you have to take a test for this? Oh, it must uh, cause distress or impair the drinker's ability to function. Uh, This condition appears, as we all know, in both the old edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and the new DSM-5. But the new version, officially released in May, adds a related diagnosis, caffeine withdrawal, which uh, describes the effects of stopping or dramatically reducing the pick-me-up habit. Withdrawal symptoms include headache, fatigue, fatigue, I mean... Difficulty concentrating, depressed mood, and other issues. Have that with a cup of joe. Mm. I'm Robert Rickman. And now that we've had our overdose of coffee and are all the better for it, let's uh, open the door to the WDBX Convention and Visitor Center with Raj and Rob, two Southern Illinoisans who like to do a lot of singing, and they're going to be singing about a part of Southern Illinois, a part of life in Southern Illinois that, though is not entirely pleasant, it is real. The park, it was abandoned Across a pond of glass I saw an old man fishing Just sitting on the grass Suddenly he began to nap 
It seemed like something wrong When the medics hauled Sam up the bank We thought that he was gone went by, I got a call from Sam, he was in bed, he asked why did you do it, I really should be dead, Sam loves to fish, but now it's hard, his wheelchair won't roll, down on that grassy bank, and he can't hold up the pole, he wasn't really fishing on that sunny afternoon He was already in heaven And I brought him back too soon He said if the world was a little slower Then I could take my time I could die with a crappie on my line Now unintended hindrances aren't part of my work I'm supposed to close the park down I'm just a part-time clerk But I hope I'm not on duty the next time Sam takes his time so he can die With a crappie on his line He wasn't really fishing on that sunny afternoon he was already in heaven And I brought him back too soon He said if the world was a little slower And I could take my time I could die with a crappie on my line The world was a little slower And I could take my time I could die with a crappie on my line Okay, Boomer. From WDBX. Now, we've heard from the news that many Boomers retired early during COVID-19, and there's a shortage of employees. But apparently, there are quite a few Boomers still working in Union County, Illinois, according to Monica Belli, director of the Sunshine Senior Center in Anna. Uh, we have, I guess as far as baby Boomers, it's not really changing. I would say it's not changing at all. Uh, we have baby boomers. We have older fur folks. Um, but as far as changing toward baby boomers, I don't, I don't guess we have. There are uh, some senior centers are doing exercises, and they have a bingo. And one, the West Frankfurt uh, Senior Center, is doing bingo and exercising at the same time. Are you finding that you are needing to make any changes to accommodate the younger oldster? Uh, no, no, we do have bingo, and uh, we have all ages play the bingo. It's not directed toward either age, but uh, we do have bingo. and we, we had an exercise class a few months ago, uh, 
But we do have bingo as far as that. Other than that, we really don't direct anything toward any younger group. Of course, the size of Ann and Jonesboro is small, so obviously you can't do everything for everybody. Well, that and a lot of our baby boomers are still working. Oh, they are? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a few that come, I would say probably less than 10, but uh, most of them are still working, mostly part-time. They have a job somewhere, but most of our, in Union County, are still working. Okay, so that's a little bit different than, yeah. than places where the baby boomers are not working, and so they have more time to take uh, advantage of senior activities at the center. I guess a lot of the baby boomers have retired from other counties, but ours, uh, ours are, a lot of ours are still working. We still have some, and they enjoy coming because they're the younger group of, of us, but uh, most of our people are still working. Now, I've noticed uh, a change in Anna, various changes since I worked on WRAJ in the mid-1970s. I've noticed a lot of uh, building to the east, uh, commercial buildings. Uh, I think you got a Walmart, and uh, you also have various fast food restaurants. Now, you're originally from here. You remember the 70s. Could you describe some of the changes from your perspective? As far as out east, there's uh, Joko Pools is out there. We have The bowling alley has moved out there. Uh, they tore the old bowling alley down, in here, the one here in town. They've, they've moved it out there. As, now the Bunny Bread, as far as changes, Bunny Bread has closed. Transcraft has closed. One of the other ones. Floorsheim. Floorsheim. Floorsheim is closed. Um, but out east, things are starting to build out that way a little bit. We're in the church that was built from what? Uh, it was part of the Transcraft group. Um, I think in this building, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think they used to bring the trailers that the, that was made oh, just over on, over on the other side of town. They would bring them over here, and I think they were painted in this building. So you've noticed a lot of change. You've noticed several rather large industries for Anna and Jonesboro close, but then you've also noticed a lot of businesses opening up. Overall, is this good or bad for the community? I would say it's it's good. It's bad losing the, the big businesses, um, but we have a lot of small mom and dad mom and pop type businesses that that are good for union county and a lot of those businesses operated by baby boomers uh yes they are yes they are so when you were saying that uh, many of the baby boomers are still working some of them are still working in their own businesses mm -hmm. yeah yeah they are um we have a few downtown have a few uh, like antique stores and things like that and uh yeah, a lot of the baby boomers are working. Now, what do you think the future will be for your senior center here? I hope our senior center is around for years to come. Um, we have about a little less than the people that used to come, because like I said, a lot of the younger ones are still working. A lot of the older ones are gone now. Uh, but we have a good group, and... Uh, I think, it, I think the senior center will be around for quite a few years. As long as there are seniors. As long as there are seniors, yeah. And there will always be seniors. <laughs> How many people attend the senior center now? We average probably 
maybe 25 a day in, in the site. Now, we deliver meals also, and we deliver uh, around 60 a day to folks in Union County, to the elderly, senior, homebound folks. Do you need help with uh, volunteers? We could always use volunteers, yeah. Um, volunteers, they love to do it because they, it, they can go and visit with a senior usually takes about a half an hour maybe to do part of the route that we give them to do unless they like to stay and talk <laughs> <laughs> now becky salazar uh was telling me that um the uh, egyptian area agency on aging is always looking for volunteers and then they uh select the volunteers and send them to the appropriate areas have you gotten referrals from the agency um, most of our referrals come from right here in town, but we have got referrals um, from Becky, and uh, we'll put them to work doing something. <laughs> that was Monica Billy, director of the Sunshine Senior Center in Anna. Becky Salazar of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging knows of a good way for boomers who are retired but want to become more social. This is especially important for boomers who move into the area. Now, you gave me some examples of somebody who likes horses, and uh, that person is a senior, and he or she wants to volunteer. Where would you place this person? Well, we've uh, been working with the Equine Center, and uh, we currently just placed a volunteer over there to help uh, care for the horses, breast them, get them ready, some, I guess, uh, I'm not familiar with horses, but whatever typical horse care would entail. Uh, but it, it's been a great placement because that was her interest, and they needed help. So it's it's been a win-win. And then there's another unusual placement you made. Yeah, we have, uh, we call it Bicycle Resurrection, and we have a volunteer who fixes up uh, donated or um, used bicycles and gives them to people who maybe needs them to get to work or children whose families maybe can't afford to get them a bicycle and uh, so that he's spending a great deal of time and we're getting bikes out to people that, that can use them. So what we're looking at here is you're looking for volunteers in a competitive market because there's a lot of job openings now but you also have seniors who want to keep active. For instance I'm volunteering at WDBX, and you have people volunteering to uh, deliver meals. What other type of volunteers do you use? Uh, we have some uh, some that can't get out very well. They'll uh, make fidget blankets, so they'll sew a bunch of like gadgets onto a blanket, and then those we can give out to persons with dementia. Helps keep them calm by you know fidgeting with the things that they sew onto blankets. And so we were able to go around. We serve 13 counties, and so we have volunteers who make fidget blankets. They'll also make hats and gloves that we can give out to people who uh, who need them. Um, and then we'll we'll have people make gifts and cards that we'll give to homebound persons or persons in like nursing homes that don't get any visitors we can kind of send them notes and things from people in the community and these are volunteers who are generally over the age of say 60 uh, age 55 and older is uh, what we target for our volunteers now I've heard there are a lot of people who have come to Southern Illinois to retire, say from the larger metropolitan areas, Chicago, St. Louis, because it is a cheaper um, place to live. Uh, I assume you're getting some volunteers from this uh, cadre of people? 
Yes, uh, we we get both. We get some that have been locals their whole life, and then we get some that have that are new to the area, and they actually are doing it to get to know other people. So they'll volunteer and and hope to make some friends or uh, learn about the area a little more in their volunteer experience. I uh, interviewed a, a former prison guard in Murfreesboro who is uh, delivering meals and picking up people who need to go to the doctor. Are you looking for those, more of those people now, or is that filled up? No, we uh, we always need need that as uh, persons get sick or persons uh, move on to another type of work. We're always needing those. And like I said, in the lower 13 counties, each county has a senior center and um, anytime someone doesn't show up, it's, we, you know, you have to find someone. Those meals have to get out. So um, it's, it's something that they don't just not deliver them that day. These people rely on the meals. So, uh, so we always can use volunteers. Uh, the volunteers uh, that come to you, uh, d- how do you make a decision as to where they should work? Uh, well, we do. Uh, they fill out a, f- a questionnaire and we talk to them, but it's basically we'll tell them what's available. But if their interests seem to be uh, beyond what we already have in place, then we'll start reaching out and seeing if we can find something. But we, we, we talk with them and work something out. There is uh, a mileage reimbursement. It's it's not very much. It's 14 cents a mile. And the reason that we pay so little is that's the federal mandated amount to pay. And and there are, there are people fighting to get that higher with the price of gas, but uh, people are able to make up to $50 a month. With, so if people are driving, we try to give them what we can. And we do a lot of volunteer appreciation. We do a big event each year. We give out gift cards. Uh, prizes, gifts throughout the year. So we try to appreciate our volunteers in any way that's, I guess, allowable. (laughs) Um, When is the appreciation event? Uh, It's usually, last year we did a big meal, uh, Cracker Barrel catered it, and we had a band come, and we had a dinner over at the Civic Center in Carterville. And uh, so it was just, and then we had a lot of like door prizes and gave away a lot of baskets and things to volunteers. So it was a, it was a fun evening. That's Becky Salazar of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging. Now we have two segments of the program that will help you to think. First, Bob and Marcia Smith have just pulled on to the off-ramp with questions and answers. The first two are about Barbara Streisand and the human brain. Okay, here we are, Robert P. Rickman, Bob and Marcia Smith, with some fun trivia for you today. In 1974, Barbara Streisand had a bold vision for a new version of A Star is Born. Chris Christopherson eventually co-starred in that film, but who was her first choice? And what percentage of your brain do humans actually use? I don't know if I have enough to figure that one out. (laughs) Well, you can try. (laughs) I remember reading something like 5% or 20%, something like that, and then somebody else came back later and said, that's not true. People use more than that. But I'll go with the 25%. We'll okay. just goose it up a bit. The most common thought of is 10%, but that's a total myth, and it's one of Hollywood's favorite premises, and they use that amount, uh, 10% in movies like Phenomenon and Limitless and all that. A great idea for selling popcorn, but there's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not scientific reality. Hmm. For one, evolution makes it highly unlikely that a species would evolve with an organ that requires so much energy and then uses only 10% of its capacity. Well, that's what I always thought. 
but what do I know? I'm not thinking well That's today. That's right. Well, this is the interesting part. Sections of the human brain specialize in certain tasks. So while it's possible for only part of the brain to be activated during any particular activity, the whole brain is still very much in use. In fact, scientists have yet to discover any part of the human brain that does nothing. So the answer is 100%. Okay, well, that makes sense because there's all these involuntary things that have to be run in your yeah, body. Your yeah. heart has to yeah, beat, yeah. the blood has to flow, all the other systems have to be you running. Use the whole shebang. So just because we don't know how yeah. much of the brain is working doesn't mean it isn't, right? Isn't working, yeah. As you can see in some tests, one part of your brain lights up when you're doing this or thinking about that, mm -hmm. but the whole brain works. Well, that's, that's very comforting. That's very comforting. Good. Okay. All right. You mentioned the movies. I did. Speaking of the movies, Marcia, back in 1974, Barbara Streisand had a bold new vision yeah. for a version of A Star is Born. That was the first new Star is Born in about 20 years. Chris Christopherson became her star. That's but who good. was Barbara Streisand's first choice after she was offered the movie? Oh, who it, did she want as a co-star? Is co -star? it someone that could sing? It's somebody who could definitely sing. Okay, so... Somebody you know very well. Very well. Somebody you really liked very well as a young girl. Was it Elvis? Elvis. Oh, my God. I didn't know this, you know, but I checked this oh, out. he would have been good. And it's true. Elvis Presley. Now, his film career had kind of bottomed out. He was uh, reportedly thrilled at the opportunity. Well, oh, don't tell me. Colonel Parker turned it down. Well, here's the story. Uh, she offered him the starring role. She had just done The Way We Were. And uh, on March 28, 1974, Barbara Streisand visited Elvis Presley backstage at Caesar's Palace to discuss her project. He was delighted with the idea. Thought it would give him a lot of chance to, you yeah. know, show, show himself him. better. Yeah. After two meetings, Streisand and John Peters, who was her boyfriend and co-producer, yeah. they made a formal offer. And it was generous. They offered a half a million dollars up front, plus 10% of the net profits. Ah. Elvis could produce and take the full revenue from all of the concerts that would be filmed. Oh, my goodness. And Streisand's production company and Warner Brothers would retain rights to the music and the soundtrack so album. So what, what happened? Why? Well, guess what? It's what you thought. Parker. Colonel Parker bomb. killed the deal. Oh, what an ass. He told the movie makers they should have come to him first. Then he demanded $1 million oh. Up front, plus 50% of the gross profits, yeah. $1,000 a week in expenses, approval of all of Presley's songs, and a cut of the soundtrack revenues. Couldn't Elvis have stood up to him? You, I mean, you that think is, he could have, right? Is, yeah, what did he go on to do? Viva Las Vegas? Oh, it's so sad, really, it when you is. think about it. And he, he could act. Did you ever see King Creole? That was one of his best films. It was. You're right. He really could act. He just needed to get in better vehicles. Yeah. But show business insiders assume that uh, Colonel Parker, who never let Elvis pursue more challenging work, would never have accepted his client playing the role of a heavy-drinking, drug-using wreck anyway. <laughs> well, guess how he died. <laughs> That's the sad part, isn't it? It is. That's, very, very sad. Wow, that, that makes me cranky, Bob. I have a funny piece of trivia to add on to that. What famous person was responsible for Barbara Streisand's wardrobe? Was it Edith Head? You'd think it was Edith Head or somebody, somebody like that? It was Barbara herself. Oh. <laughs> okay. The credit reads, Miss Streisand's clothes from her closet. <laughs> Is that what it that's says? That's what the movie credit. In that movie? Yes. Oh, that's hilarious. And that was a big hit. That was a big, big movie in 1976. It was. It was good. Elvis could have been in it. After the latest Star is Born, which was awesome, too, I wanted to go back and watch all of them again. Well, since you brought that up, one more piece of trivia. 
<laughs> what do Barbara Streisand and Lady Gaga have in common? Besides that part, that role? With regard to that role, what do they have in common? They both wrote the hit songs for their films. <gasps> she wrote She Stars wrote Born. Evergreen? Was that it? Yeah, Barbara Streisand wrote Evergreen, and Lady Gaga wrote The Shallows. Uh, from or, the Shallows, yeah. which I adore. Both those songs are just awesome. Yeah. Wow. Bravo, girls. Pray tell what is next, Marcia. <laughs> oh, okay. What is the loudest animal in the world? The loudest animal? I'm going to say great white whales or blue whales. <gasps> What's the answer? Yes. Blue whales? Yes. Because they, they sing songs under the ocean. They do, and they make their sounds, their decibels are 188 decibels, and they can be heard almost 100 miles away. A hundred miles away. Yeah. And it's through water, too. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. The loudest land animal is the howler monkey at 88 decibels. That sounds bad, too. The howler monkey. <laughs> I don't want him anywhere near me. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, the whale. We mentioned the whale, so we talked about the ocean. This is from a book that was given to me by our new friend, Daria Solovieva. <laughs> the Brilliant Abyss by Helen Scales. It's got some great facts up front, and I want to ask you this question. What have we mapped more, the surface of the moon or the surface of the ocean floor? What have we mapped better? The moon. You're right. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yes. The surface of the moon has been mapped within 23 feet. We can locate things. That's how well it's mapped. Wow. The moon. The ocean, three miles. Really? Three That's miles across. Nonsensical. It's, it's amazing. I mean, the, the, the ocean's here. It's been here forever. We've been here forever. But the moon... <laughs> Maybe you have. I'm new. Oh, okay. I thought that was amazing. It's from The Brilliant Abyss by Helen Scales. That's it, Bob Brickman, you chucklehead. I hope that uh, you like that. We just want to remind everyone, if they'd like to join us on the web, they can come to our site at theofframp.show. Now on to you, an OK Boomer. OK, Boomer. Okay, Bob, Marsha, and kids. Mark Twain allegedly said history doesn't rhyme, but it does repeat itself. It was 78 years ago this coming August when the deadliest war in history ended, and what came after it we're still living with. Listen closely. Does anything you hear rhyme with the events of today? Edward R. Murrow reports. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This is CBS the Columbia Broadcasting System, 7 p.m. Eastern Wartime. This is KROD, El Paso, Texas, 5 p.m. Mountain Wartime. This is the home service, 12 o'clock midnight, British double summer time. Говорит Москва. It was 2 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time, August 14, 1945. For 2,172 days, the world had been at war. Then that hushed, synchronized silence, like that which exists in a prize fight between the count of nine and ten. And then, in 60 different languages, it was over. The first announcement came from Prime Minister Attlee. Japan has today surrendered. The last of our enemies is laid low. Now, back to New York. People who have seen Times Square celebrations before declare that this is the biggest uh, spectacle in New York history. Estimates of the crowd go beyond a half million. And on the lawns of the White House, in Moscow's Red Square, in the ruins of Stalingrad, this was victory. 
St. Patrick's on Fifth Avenue, and in almost every house of worship throughout the land, people prayed. In Boston that night, people filled parched gas tanks with high-test gasoline. And in San Francisco, confetti of ration stamps and V-mail stationery floated down on Market Street. The war was over. The long sweat was done. Ten million barracks bags were mentally packed that night. A boat whistle in the harbor had a new meaning that night. The whole world was like an air raid shelter at dawn. We raised the blackout curtains and let the darkness out. And a voice that will never need identification echoed in our ears. So we are going to win the war. And we are going to win the peace that follows. So... Do any of the events you just heard about resonate with life today? Did history rhyme? Think about it, and remember, it only has to rhyme for you. Well, that's it for OK Boomer for another week. I'd like to thank Jill Graskowitz, Becky Salazar, Monica Belli, Bradley Griffith, Bob and Marcia Smith, and AARP for help with this program. Join me next Tuesday at 10 in the morning for OK Boomer, on WDBX Carbondale.